Hey there, Super Nintendo's. Guess what it is? It's episode 619 of Nintendo Voice Chat. I am your host, Seth Macy, joined here today by Herr Schneider. Schwa. <laughs> Back again, Rep Valentine. I feel like I'm being mocked. I just got here and I'm being <laughs> mocked by one pair of Schneider. No, no, I was going schwa. That's an expression of happiness. Oh, schwa. Yeah. And of course, industry legend and uh, superhero by night, Cat Bailey. Hey, it's me. I'm in the cat cave where all the cat cakes are stored. <laughs> it's very exciting. It's a very exciting week. We have a lot to talk about. But just this morning, there was some breaking news. E3 is back. Yes. I mean, it's 11 months away, but it's coming back. And it's actually going to be put on by Reed Pop. And if you're not familiar with Reed Pop, they are responsible for such uh, events as PAX, both East and West, Star Wars Celebration. I don't know if you've ever heard of that little sci-fi hmm. uh, lark that people are kind of excited about. But yeah, E3 will be the second week of June, 2023. And do you, I'm curious as to the panel's thoughts on, with Reed Pop sort of taking this over, is, does this mean it's going to be the fan event that we've all been saying for five years it should be? Wait, you think it should be a fan event? I do. I've always thought it should oh. lead heavily into fans. We're way more selfish than, than, than Seth. So a giant keep PAX, the, in other words. Keep, keep I'm thinking book. it should be a, a, yeah, a giant more, um, well, I shouldn't say PAX is very celebratory, but you know, with the big names and the big reveals and everyone there uh, at PAX, that's what I think it should be. But I'm... Yeah. You know, and and obviously the 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 real model I think is Gamescom because Gamescom is a mini E three for Europe. It it doesn't usually have the kind of it, or it used to not have the the kind of announcements that you would get at E three. In some years, there's some big stuff announced, but it but it is this interesting event that has a business center that is basically the size of you know E three, and then it has this huge um, public space too for over three hundred thousand people who get to then play games and stuff. And there different games on display. Like not not everything that's shown in the business center is actually on the show floor. Um, I think that's the model ultimately to aim for, but so far it sounds like they still want to keep it very um, industry focused, right? Uh, we'll, we'll see as we get closer. In recent years, E3 has opened up a little bit more. I say recent before the pandemic shut down <laughs> in the digital event, but like E3 has let in like 10,000 fans and that has actually created some challenges because unlike Gamescom where, you know, the paths between the booths are like, autobahn sized right like at e3 the corridors were still very narrow and they weren't really set up for the masses and there were long waits and you know complications it was really difficult to get to some places so maybe maybe um it'll be a little bit bigger but i don't think it'll suddenly be gamescom or pax okay no so i have i i worked at uh GamesIndustry.biz, which is part mm -hmm. of Read Pop, and Chris Dring, uh, there he used to be their publisher. Now he has an even bigger fancy title. So I guess I guess this is my disclaimer. Like I used to work with these people, um, but like a, bu a bunch of people that I used to work with and who ran business events for like or hel helped run business events for Read Pop uh, that were tied to sort of their media stuff. Uh, like like I know I know a lot of the people who are now helping be in charge of what this vision is. And to be quite honest, I'm very optimistic now knowing that they're involved because mm. like I was in rooms with them for a couple of years and we had many conversations about 
wow, uh, these are the problems that we see as outsiders with E3, and these are the things we wish it would be. And I do not think they will, I do not think Repop is going to plan to make this a full-blown fan event and kick industry business stuff to the side. And the reason why I don't think that is because it would cannibalize packs. Like they don't need, mm. they don't want to make an even giant or packs that would make no sense because they already have West packs and- all encompassing. Right. They don't need that. And Pax the, Omni. the value of <laughs> yeah. E3, I mean, it, it does have value as a fan event, I think. And I don't think we're going to take a step back and remove that element. But I do think there is a recognition from the people who are helping make the decisions behind this that it has lost a little bit of the benefit for a lot a lot of the stakeholders and not just the media, like for, mm-hmm. for the actual companies showing up. Um, so Chris Dring wrote this really interesting editorial on GI Biz that I recommend people go check out, where he basically sort of candidly talks about what it's like to be someone who has been a fan of E3 for so long and who has, you know, covered it as a journalist and is now faced with sort of this challenge of helping define what it's going to be in the future. And he talks about working with like Jeff Keighley um, through Summer Games Fest. And he talks about the the different possibilities of how they're going to assemble this going forward. And I think I think announcing it early was the right call because I think that inspires confidence that there actually is a plan. There is someone steering the ship. And I think part mm-hmm. of the problem the last few years is that no one's had any idea what's going on. And so everyone's been afraid to commit. And I think the the biggest challenge they have ahead of them is getting actual big companies on board to show up and bring things that are worth seeing and talking about again. And I think announcing it early and having a clear plan <laughs> and having actual incentive for industry business folks to show up is one of the best things they could possibly do to make this a good event for everyone. So I I don't know what their strategy is. They have like, I mean, we're not having secret conversations where I, I have been told what this is, obviously, but that's you can, based on- You can on tell us experience. off air. <laughs> based on my experience you know working with them on much smaller events that's what i i think and hope they will prioritize and so this this news has me much more optimistic yeah i i agree with you reb i think the key will be getting some of the big players back on board because as we saw with e3 in the past few years sony kind of dropped out and many of the other places were scaling back the show floor was getting sadder and sadder and it seemed like behind the scenes CESA was having some struggles making E3 figuring out what they wanted from E3 it's like is it a public fan facing event is it more of a journalist event Xbox kind of took it over and then the, of course the pandemic hit so i think job 1 for Repop which by the way i also used to work for Repop over at US Gamer is figuring out what the identity of E3 is, what is it going to be? And I think ideally it is just the big summer showcase. This is the time for the games industry to shine for all of the mainstream outlets across the world. And I, I, it's funny, I see a lot of journalists saying, E3, we don't really need E3. Why, why do, what do we care about E3? We have uh, Nintendo Directs now, but I don't know of why any event like E3 that really just draws the attention of the world to the games industry yeah. it's a spotlight we i have one so bad. i see i see three in line with the olympics you can have sporting events throughout the year and people will tune in and if you're a fan of you know athletics or you know long jump or whatever you can watch uh competitions being held but there's something very different about the olympics and how it brings people together and puts a spotlight on things and it also serves as a discovery for new stuff and the way the way E3 always functioned in the past is that you didn't just tune in to see Nintendo. 
even if you were a Nintendo fan and you didn't own a PlayStation, you might actually watch the PlayStation event, or you would watch the Ubisoft event or the Capcom event. And this sort of kind of, this celebration where everything was condensed in a couple of days, and then you got also the sort of validation and the interpretations from you know journalists and YouTubers and like what they thought of the games that they saw, or you know if they played the games, what the games felt like, and whether they were heading in the right direction. That was incredibly exciting and invaluable as a you know as a consumer i've i've watched i've seen e3 programming before i participated in it because even though i'm 400 years old there there was that and i always i always loved that excitement and i think the challenge now is that yes a a company like nintendo or playstation or xbox or you know in the past activision felt like they had little to gain by being part of this continuous programming and this sort of industry event and that they could just do it themselves and and frankly they could probably do it cheaper right and nintendo started a thing where when they said well we'll no longer do a live event and and it removed you know, it removed something. It removed for them. It removed the failures. Remember that when the Wii remotes weren't connecting and the presentations weren't great, or when Microsoft tried to go bam and the Connect legs were turning backwards and everybody made fun of it, right? It removed some of that by making more canned events rather than getting on a stage and doing these live performances. But it also removed a human element and some excitement, I think. And so now we're at a point where I, you know, there are companies like Ubisoft. We know the leader of Ubisoft, Laurent de Toc, is really loves E3 in that sort of togetherness. And there's some companies where their leaders are less interested in it. And sometimes it just takes one person in a high position at a major major studio to make a difference. But we'll see. I have a hard time believing that at this point, you know, Sony would be motivated to jump back into the fray or Nintendo even with a traditional stage presentation because they're so powerful and they're so successful. But, you know, if Microsoft goes in and shows its games and Activisions and Bethesda's, there might be some pressure on them to join again. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, Pear. Um, but at the same time, like even though Nintendo wasn't directly technically part of E3, it also still felt like part of E3 because yeah. they always had a big booth and like a very major booth and they would be showing off a lot of demos. There would be a lot of interviews coming out of it. And not only that, they would have a Nintendo Direct the week of the E3. Yeah. And so we wouldn't have to constantly be on Nintendo Direct Watch. So I'm kind of <laughs> hopeful that uh, then uh. Nintendo will maybe embrace the new E3 a little bit, even if so. they're not on stage. Yeah, yeah and they did. They obviously, what I'm what I'm saying, Nintendo started is this sort of kind of like showing other companies. So wait, you don't have to rent this giant auditorium, get on stage, and do a live show, a complicated live show. Nintendo showed everybody you can pre-record something and people tune in and love it. And of course, they were still part of the 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 entire show and had their booths for for uh, playtime and all of that whereas like i think activision bowed out pretty early on right and wasn't on the show floor anymore and then then it just kind of accelerated yeah i'll also add from a media perspective i i don't know how much we've gotten to talk about this before but kat and i went to keely's play days this year which was a media only event for two days where we basically had a small a smaller venue uh with a bunch of demo kiosks and it was all appointment based like we made our appointments in advance and there was time and space to see everything and honestly that was great and uh 
Chris Dring in his piece talked about, you know, talking to Keeley and finding some way to partner with him. Uh, this is just sort of pipe dreamy stuff. But you know what I would love? I would love if they partnered with him and let him do the media stuff. Like if they're if they did the press conferences and then they had a separate satellite event for media to see the closed door stuff where everything is like appointment based, separate from the massive people standing in line and very convenient, lots of spaces for interviews, the way the way that event was only slightly bigger, that would be amazing. I would love to see them do that. And I feel like that's an extremely sensible partnership given that he used to do Judges Week. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that isn't that what we had, right? Jeff used to do Judges Week before E3. Uh, but then, yeah, there was still the the show floor and it was industry yeah. only. I, it's I mean, kind of the same. I mean, I think I think the point of Judges Week was sort of to assign awards. I never went, yeah. so I don't know. But I, yeah, it the, was. the the play days was a little more. Come do coverage. Come do news. Come get interviews. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was still very small. There wasn't a ton there. But I I feel like sort of expanding that and and making that. I I think that would that would make the media person in me happy because I'd be able to do my job. And I also think that would open up. You know, I don't know. I think I feel like it would make things more convenient for a lot more people as well. Yeah, personally, I think the the model is Gamescom. That uh, yep. you know, if you haven't been, it's just an incredibly well run event. That you know, the the thing to remember about Gamescom is that it's held in a city that's fairly small. It's a million people living in Cologne, and then the city grows by a quarter of that, right? And somehow they accommodate all these people, and they you know they have. Uh, you know, teenagers all camping out at the riverside and it's a it's a big party and barbecues everywhere. It's it's really impressive because it's it becomes this cultural event surrounding that convention center. And then somehow they manage these masses. You've all seen the footage of like when the Gamescom doors open and it's like, you know, the parting of the seas. It's like this flood of people rushing in. It looks really scary, but what you don't usually see is how engineered the show floor is to handle all those people. That's not to say that you don't wait in line for ages either. That happens. But then <laughs> there's this separate concourse that's all focused on um, on media and business and its meeting rooms and all of that. It's just really impressive to see. So you're telling I think me Tokyo Game Show. I think Tokyo Game Show is also maybe a model because mm -hmm. the way they would do it is they would have two media days where you could get yeah. everything in, and then they would open the doors for audience or for crowds to come in and try all the demos on the show floor on days three and four. And so yeah. I think it was kind of a good split, good compromise. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I also that's... want to be sort of clear to people listening that I mean, well, selfishly, I want the media stuff to be done well because that's important mm -hmm. to me. But that. Media and also because deals are being done at E3. People, business executives are meeting behind closed doors to show games and get publishing agreements. Like that's the other thing that is theoretically happening. It, happening at E3 and Gamescom and these other conferences. You want that to go well. You want that to. You want people to have space and feel like they can conduct that business and feel incentivized to show up and do that business because that's how you get more cool games on the show floor. Because if, if I'm a if I'm a publisher and I feel like if I don't show up to E3, I'm going to miss out on a bunch of good business deals and opportunities to get the games that I've already announced in front of the press, who are all going to be collected in one space during that week. If I'm if I already feel incentivized to do that then why not bring some demos and show them to the public too, since I'm already there and I'm already bought in. It, so having that element go well is very critical to having the rest of it go well. There was also always a very palpable sense of um, industry coherence, it's just this togetherness that, you know, this was the entire games industry showing up, you know, obviously games media was there on top of it and some retailers, but it was the core games industry and you could see you could see 
indie developers just soaking it up and and being so happy to be exposed to you know this creativity on display everywhere but also being in a position to maybe have access to people to make publishing deals and show yes. companies that would be otherwise really hard to meet with to show them their wares and then i always loved you know like you you'd see mr miyamoto taking a tour of the playstation booth you know like <laughs> hooked up by the Sony PlayStation team and vice versa, you would see, you know, uh, high-ranking people from Microsoft and, and PlayStation, like showing up and looking at each other's games. And there was this really kind of, kind of putting competition aside and just kind of reverence for each other's creations that um, there hasn't really been a replacement for that. And, yeah. you know, seeing that on display was always really impressive to me. Yeah. yeah, I guess this is all to say that I am an E3 fan, and it sounds like other people here are too. It's um, There's an energy to it that is really difficult to replicate, and I was definitely missing it over the past three years yeah. at this point. Last time I was in the LA Convention Center. And there's always, uh, on social media, you'll see in response to stories about E3, you always see people's comments going like, who needs E3? And I would, E3 like, to dead. I would like to answer that once and for all. Hi need e3 <laughs> yes that's i mean i think this Do year prepare has yes there it is that's the hashtag for any time that e3 is at risk of being canceled but um i think this year in particular kind of showed us that without a centralized summer event we're kind of like all cast to the wind you know we oh. just kept doing it's our... a big old summer game mess i mean it's yeah. great that we were able to make our own coverage around it but like when we said it's the summer game, you know, summer of gaming, I don't think anybody thought that it was literally going to be like all summer long. Like Brian yep. Altano, he's actually, uh, he's in a hyperbaric chamber right now recovering because <laughs> every time he thinks it's over, they say, no, Brian, there's something yep. new that you have to cover right now. And he, uh, he goes like that. And we, you know, we popped the lid off his, his Tupperware container, but <laughs> I am, I went to E3 in 2018. It was the first year I worked for IGN. It was the first E3 that I've ever been to. And it was all Amazing. It was a lifelong dream, which is why I think yeah. that it should be open to more people in the public. I agree. Because for yeah. like just it's like the gamers, you know, ultimate dream. Oh my God, I want to go to E3. You know, I have two people on my team who have never been to E3 and they're like, this morning they're like, we're going to E3, right? And I was like, I don't, I don't get to make that call. But yes, sure, okay. Yeah, we'll we'll try to get you there. But it's just so wonderful and so fun. And you know, I was after years and years of reading about it and seeing people tweet about it. I thought it was going to be more crowded and the lines were going to be longer. Um, Which year were you, were you there? 2018. It was the second year they okay. had. The last yeah. good one. It was the penultimate 20, 2017 year. was the first year they brought the public in and then 2018 yeah, they they it fixed some stuff in 2018, but yeah, yeah if 2017 you, was pretty messy. <laughs> if you didn't have your IGN badge, Seth, though, I think the wait times would have been. Oh my God, that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I all, yeah, that is uh, the secret to just being brought to the front of the line. And I always or any like any media badge. I'm not yeah. saying I. If you're in the media, you're going to be, be you're, you're going to be in conference rooms the entire show. You're not going to be yeah. standing in line. So that's right. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, it needs it needs to function for everybody, right? Like it right. needs to be a functional event for media to do their jobs. It needs to be a mm -hmm. functional event for executives to do their jobs. It needs to be if you're going to make the public pay quantities of money for a ticket then they should be getting something for that. And I think I think PAX has largely been a pretty successful, I mean, you know, 
COVID yeah. has, has made things more difficult. But prior to prior to COVID, PAX was a wonderful consumer event. I love yeah. going to PAXs and it is explicitly a consumer event. There's things for me yes. to do there, but it, it is specifically for everybody to show up and play games and participate in the culture. Uh, E3, that transition was not, I don't think that was managed super well the first couple of years. And then everything just ground to a halt. So I, I am optimistic that the people who already make very good consumer events can at least logistically yep. make a good consumer event out of E3 as well without sacrificing the other important elements that make it what it is. I'm I love excited. events like like PAX too. And I think there is a, you know, it it, it not every event has to be filled with announcements, you know, uh, right. like, like E3 or the Game Awards. Like there's something to being together with your friends and exploring stuff and playing games together. And honestly, the most popular booths at Gamescom are often for games that are already out. It's mm -hmm. about yeah. showing your skills and, you know, like it, 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 it is a, a little bit of a different vibe. And I will say I'm recording this from a Wormwood game table right now. I wouldn't own this um, if I hadn't gone to PAX one year and seen all the wonderful oh, Wormwood man. stuff on display. It's like so there's it's just so much cool stuff to discover that's adjacent to gaming too, like yeah. tabletop and all that. I always thought of PAX as it's sort of a celebration of gaming and the culture mm -hmm. and like being with your yes. friends. And I always thought of E3 as a celebration of games, if that distinction makes any that's sense to anyone yeah. else. Yep. But yeah, so totally. I'm very excited. I'm, I want some conferences. I like it when I can hear Hip Hop Gamer at a conference because I think they put a, a mic on him every time because he gets very excited. But if you're watching a Sony conference in the past and you hear somebody, it's almost certainly Hip Hop Gamer. So uh, one of the things that E3 will, um, I don't want to say prevent, but might uh, stop is the constant threat of a looming Nintendo Direct. Because guess what? It's... <laughs> Direct Watch 2000XX. Here we go again. There was a orange new... alert. Yep. Excuse yep. me, what? Yep, we are on. Uh, we are on alert for a new yep. Nintendo Direct. Uh, no, it's yep. July. It must I be time for another Nintendo Direct. I was on vacation for the last week. Are you kidding me? We just did this. No. We just did this, but we, we did, did a mini Direct last exactly. month. Exactly. Oh, that was not enough. No, no, it never no. ends. It no, never, never ends. ends. But there has to be a first party showcase somewhere. Oh. Please let it be somewhere. Oh, I'm going to lose my mind. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, they one of the one of the, the the suspicions, or I should say, one of the events that caused suspicion was that Nintendo put a bunch of its its videos on private. Now, Man. apparently, there's a simple explanation for that, and that is they their licensing for the music only lasts for like one year, and so after a year they have to pull them down. However. Why would we let the truth prevent us from speculating wildly? I mean, what well, is the well? I mean, they they also so specifically what what the, they, there were rumors already about a direct. You know, the yes. moment that it became clear that the next direct was going to be a third party direct, already rumors started for uh, an indie uh, an indie showcase and a proper first party direct. Like it, it'll never go away. And like, sometimes those rumors are credible and sometimes they'll just start because in the absence of something, you know, th that void must be filled immediately with, with speculation right. and chatter. Right. Yes. Um, Nintendo I've, abhors a vacuum. I've heard that there is a first party direct in July as well. And I don't know if it's true. No, stop. Don't do this. <laughs> there was a whole thing. There was a uh, thing where Sir Kentoto, who is known for being a Nintendo knower, yes. did a too early, and then Takashi Mochizuki, who covers it for Bloomberg, did the eyeball emoji. Cue all of the speculation. Yes. Everyone, listen to me. 
this way lies madness. Yes. <laughs> do not do this. It is. Look, Nintendo Reb, join will... us. We're going to gaming leaks and rumors on Reddit. You've Here's not been wild... a Nintendo fan long if you think this way Here's... leads to madness. No, I think it gets worse. I think it's gotten worse in the last like two years. Oh, absolutely. Uh, listen, somebody get Samus Ninten... Hunter on the line. <laughs> Here's my prediction. Nintendo at some point in the next couple of years is going to announce some games. Whoa. They're going to do it. Who is I this? Promise, Where do you get your info? I promise info? it's okay. I don't I promise know. The Honestly, that's a pretty bold take up. by you, Reb. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's fine. It's totally fine. We do not need to... The, the, okay. The reason why this bothers me so much is mm. because people will... The, the rumor mill will jump... I think I've said this on this podcast before. The rumor mill will jump at literally anything. Mm -hmm. And it's oh, circular. Yeah. So, some... So, Joe Games Leaker might tweet one day and say, I have heard from reliable sources that there is a Nintendo Direct at the end of July. You might just tweet this or whatever, and everyone will will lose their mind. And then Joe, so, someone will will see that, and then they will go to their little secret group chat or their their Discord friend group or their uh, their little community server or whatever, and they'll be like, hey, I, I heard about their this. PBS. And then those people will hear about it from them, and then they'll go tell someone else, and then it'll go around in a circle, and eventually yeah. it'll get back to that first guy, and then that'll be a second source confirming <laughs> To this person, uh -huh. that there's now a direct. This happens constantly. Oh, and, I know. It's infuriating. You don't know I hate who these it. sources are, and some of them are are real. Like, don't get me wrong. I absolutely think some of the some of this is like real information. But there is literally no way from our perspective that we can sift it out. So just it's like it's, live your life, people. It's it's fine. an no. age old. It's the age old rumor circle that you know wars have started over that circular rumor where it's like we think somebody has weapons and like it, it the circulates main. right like. Mm, uh, it, it it happens. Um, no, in in this case, Seth was earlier referring to a video that was taken down, and that was the original Swoled video. And yeah, it is very likely that oh, it was this. taken down because the the contract for the music or the um the 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 song, the uh, actors' licenses were were up. Whatever uh, uh, commercials are very very complicated. Like IGN shot a commercial for movie theaters. Uh, many many years ago, and it's not online anywhere because of the the licensing and the the rights issues there. Um, but uh, but no, what, what I was going to say is like there was actually that sparked then um, rumors about the Switch Pro, right? Oh, they took down the OLED promotion because they're about to announce the Pro, which is right. You know, which that's is what you that, do. That's never a reason to take down an old promotion. Old trailers persist even when the sequel to something comes out, right? But it did. It did coincide with them announcing a new version of the OLED, which is the Splatoon edition, oh, which has man. fancy little, you know, custom Splatoon Joy-Con. So looks really good, by the way. Yeah. Oh my god, I want it. it looks mm -hmm. so good. I'm not gonna buy it, but it looks great. They're not wrong. You're gonna buy they're it. Selling them, they're not selling them separately again. Uh, they are not. You get the. They used to do this. At least in Japan, they used to reliably sell the special edition controllers separately. That's how I got my my. Uh, oh, I did the, not know the that. Pokemon ones uh, originally, but um. Anyway, that's uh, th there's a new OLED coming, but of course the Switch Pro rumors are not going to stop. They're going to well. Apparently, some uh, a, a uh, I believe it was a Chinese leaker, and <laughs> no. they said it's a factory worker leaked yeah, that the Splatoon three yeah. OLED was coming out, and then it came true. Yeah, and, and then that same leaker said that there's a new hardware uh, reveal, or actually, excuse me, a new hardware. Uh, uh, they're going to put out a new switch basically in september is what this 
leaker yeah. has claimed. Oh. Yeah. However, the Switch Pro rumors have been going for you for like no more than a year at this point. Um, it used to be the free spot on the NVC bingo card, or as they call it, <laughs> main Bino. Uh, well, I mean, after just... after the Swoled was released, there were all these rumors that it had intended to be a beefier console, but then Nintendo had to scale it back because of supply shortages, but that there were rumors of 4K development kits in the wild. It's, yes. It's, it's so... just astonishing to me what, and I'm guilty of this too, but we will just put reason to the side just to spread and believe and be part of the excitement of these rumors and then you know we had um john on who had uh what was his fake site oh waddle d knows he made john waddle cartwright d made up and what he did was Classic. he just put out a thousand different um predictions and then after the direct he deleted all the ones that were wrong and everyone's like oh my god he did this three weeks ago <laughs> and that is the problem with almost all leakers i know it's, i love it we, yeah. it's, we paint the target after you know the arrow has hit yeah, but What's there's a difference the between leakers and like journalists who are actually reporting on things. And a lot yeah. of people at like Bloomberg and such are actually well connected and have been reporting on this for some time. So there's no, a, no offense to Sam as hunters, but there is a difference. <laughs> no, that, and that's super true. And I, I do want to, I guess, I guess addendum what I said earlier with that. Like if somebody is writing a report, if if a journalist is willing to write an article, having spoken to multiple sources and verified them through their organization's, you know, editorial policies for verifying sources and is willing to put that in print somewhere, then yeah, that's probably reliable. I still think there's some things that you still have to take with a grain of salt, right? Because the Switch Pro rumors have been re reported on by like very reliable reporters for years now. And that doesn't mean they were wrong at any point. Uh, it things Plans change, things get delayed, things, things get shifted around or canceled or any number of other things. And so you just, you, you gotta vet what you're buying into, but you also have to take everything with a grain of salt, even counterpoint, even believe is, is everything you want. If it is, right. makes you happy. And then when it doesn't come true, then you just make the excuse, um, that obviously their source had some bad information. So that's my, I'd say that's my bad info. it just could have changed. No, I'm just I'm saying, believe I'm every less, rumor. I'm less excited about, I, my uncle works at Nintendo on gaming leaks and rumors telling me that there's going to be direct on such and such. And it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But people buy into that. Every time. Yeah. Yeah, and I made so. fun of the, the, there was leaks that it was going to be on the 29th. And I made fun of the fact that it was on the 28th. And I said, oh, my sources, they, uh, they must've had the time zones wrong. And people in my replies were like, you know, you've never worked at a big company before, you know, plans do change. <laughs> Whatever, dude. All right. So. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Nintendo Direct Watch will be who knows where because I'm taking vacation. And if there's a Nintendo Direct, I'll just take my oh. vacation in LA. When so. are you when are, when are you on vacation? What what weeks? Uh it's not next week, but the week the two weeks after. So starting oh, July yeah, the will definitely be during your vacation then. I will um, I'm not going it'll be during Comic Con too. IGN's Pear oh. Schneider confirms Nintendo Direct in the next two. That happened before. Like Pear said something. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. based on the Macy curse. It's not based yeah. on any insider information. <laughs> I just know the moment Seth is out, they'll announce some cool stuff. Well, here's the good news. Yeah. Uh, I am actually, I'm not going anywhere for vacation. I'm just going to go fishing oh, no. near my You're house. tricking them. You're yes. tricking them. So if there is, I like it. I can just jump right back into here and be like, "Hey, everybody! Nintendo Direct. We told you. We knew the leaks were true." So mm -hmm. that's also it. Work. 
coincides perfectly with the release of Live Alive, which I believe comes out July 22nd. Now, who here among us has played Live Alive and would like to speak to it? Uh, Rev, you have your hand raised. Oh my god, I've played so much Live Alive. Okay. I, so Tell us I what you be, can, please. I have to be really measured because I'm I'm reviewing the game for IGN. And Lucky. So I, I have the full me. version and they oh that's the that's the original. That's the Super Famicom. I got the OG. Oh, that's beautiful. Um I, I'm reviewing it for IGN. Um the preview embargo has lifted, so there's only so much I can talk about. Uh I, I will say that I uh I, I went on a short, a mini vacation, like a long weekend uh, over this like past six days. Uh, I was given the code on the first day of my vacation. I thought, oh, I'm not going to play too much of a, of a review game while I'm on vacation. You know, I'll just <laughs> dabble in a little bit. Uh, I couldn't put it down and I beat the whole thing. So Holy cow. <laughs> I'm going to try to be really measured. Uh, it's good, folks. Uh, but <laughs> Live Alive is so weird. It's like, but good weird. It is, it, it is seven vignettes. I believe I can talk about four of them uh, that are all their own separate stories that take place in a different time period of Earth that are yep. all in in different. They, they all have very different mechanics. Uh, they all have a, a, a similar tying to. Themes, uh, by the end of the fourth chapter, uh, a seeming. Uh, the same villain, perhaps, or or a villain that that is connected between all of them so far somehow. Uh, but they are, they are all so completely beautifully different. Uh, the Wild West chapter is uh, like there's a little bit of battling in it, but it is mainly about time and resource management and trying to set a bunch of working together with a bunch of villagers to set a bunch of traps before before the bad guys show up and. Depending on how you how well you explore and how well you set your traps, you can make the the what what you're about to do hopefully a little bit easier. Uh, Isn't that the plot it, to Seven Samurai? It is. It might be. It is. A lot the, of them, well, it's Magnificent Seven, which is the, Seven Samurai adapted, is what they're doing, yeah. and it's uh, <laughs> the music sounds like Morricone, so it's like it's oh, all wow. of the westerns mixed up. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them are very. Uh, like like very appear to be very film influenced actually. Mm -hmm. Um Imperial China feels very much like a a traditional like martial arts kung fu film though no I can't I can't talk about that. Uh, uh but, but you're you're basically It's in training. the demo. Yeah, I know. Oh, well, the, the, the demo is the only demo part of the chapter. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think it probably stops where the embargo tells me I can't go. That's right. Uh, but but the it's all about training your successor. You have these three different individuals who this this kung fu master uh, picks up uh, a, 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 near from nearby, and he's like training one of them to become his successor. Um, and it, it's sort of you know you're investing time into each of their training differently, and they're gaining different stats based on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that one's a lot more badly than the Wild West chapter is. Um, and then there's Distant Future, which is where you're playing a little robot dude, and it has no combat at all. It's basically just like sort of a puzzle exploration scenario where you're kind of trying to make friends with your crewmates and and play square man did you catch the two major movie influences on that one uh uh i'm trying to i'm making sure i can talk about this uh i don't i can't talk about the second one because i think it's very oh uh, well like, i i played the original one so i could tell you what is in the original 2001 and alien yeah. So the yeah, but but like yeah, yeah. really two thousand one down to kind of like the AI stuff sorry, and dude. and you know the, the the chapter is set up that there's a, a creature in the holding cell so like um 
it's like each each scenario has definitely has these movie or classic uh, like literature influences which makes them really interesting but they i i do think that they do a really nice job not like just aping what came before but yeah creating their their own stories and then obviously mentioned this before the way it all comes together it's just beautiful it's and, very good at leaning at like embrace it it's very good at leading into tropes exactly enough like it, oh, it yeah. is it can seem on the surface at the beginning a, a bit tropey, but the further you go, the more it, it breaks your expectations. It's I love games that make me suspicious of what the game is trying to get me to do. And Live Alive does that constantly. I I have been questioning everything constantly. So Twilight of Edo Japan, which is the other one that I can talk about, the the samurai one. Yep. At the beginning, the guy is like, hey, uh, you can, you know, however you, 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 you basically need to rescue the prisoner. Like that's your goal. However you accomplish that is fine, you know, but, but he implies that you can do it through a lot of bloodshed or you can do it stealthily because you have like a stealth move that you can use. And the first time you kill a guy in combat, like you can avoid encounters completely, but the first time you kill a guy, it starts a kill count and he starts counting how many people he's killed and so now my undertale brain is, is going haywire and i'm like how can i do a full pacifist run and so i'm i am aggressively trying to puzzle this out but i i eventually can i talk about this i've got the embargo right here yes i can uh i eventually hit a point where i could not figure out how to get past an encounter without fighting like it, it appeared to be forcing me into a fight to proceed and i am positive there's a way to get through that peacefully but I don't know what it is yet. So I'm really excited to go back and replay that chapter and figure out what I'm missing. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it, I, I, and the whole, the, the distant future chapter too, and it was another one because you're making coffee for these people and I'm like trying to yeah. make them be my friend. And I'm like, what, what does it want me to do? What is, what is the trick? What's the secret? Mm -hmm. What, what's going on? I love it when games do this. I am obsessed with Live Alive. It's so funny because I got a Slack message at like past <laughs> mid past midnight going, Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> it was just there was no context whatsoever. Yeah, Rev and, texted uh, me. Oh my god, like three or four times. And yeah, then I texted yeah. Kat. Yes. No, it's look, if it you you have to love JRPGs, right? Like it's not there's not no action. It's you know, turn based, grid based combat. Uh, as as Reb has said, the far future chapter, there's no combat at all. Um, in the there's a caveman scenario where there's no language at all, right? Like each scenario is like it asks for your patience in various ways. And if you're into shooters and action games, might not be for you. But like if you're into role playing games, it's almost like playing seven or more different classic role playing games. And like knowing that the person who created this went on to make Chrono Trigger should tell you that it's probably worth your attention. Can, can I talk see the very bones of Chrono Trigger? Sorry. Can I talk briefly about how well it does the HG two D thing? Because yes, so yes, it does. We've had Octopath Traveler, we've had Triangle Strategy, but I think this is the best one looking one by far. It yes. really makes use of the technology, and you can see it in the B roll just now in the video from all of the trailers. It is a really pretty looking game, and yeah. I like that. I, I think a sneaky addition is the voice acting which yeah. I, having characters narrating the text and everything adds to the atmosphere. I was trying out the, the Kung Fu adventure briefly, and I was like, I'm already in on this. The atmosphere on this is actually really excellent. So yeah, uh, yeah, no, I think as a, it's, I think that seeing a proper remake of Live Alive, which this is what it is, it's a remake, 
um, is really exciting. And it's a great opportunity for people who never got to experience the original, i.e. 99% of Americans to right. give it a shot. I think it is absolutely bonkers that this got remade in a good way. Like this is this is a weird game. It's so well. I know. Who if is I had to guess, I would say triple A games in twenty twenty two that are seven seemingly disparate vignettes. Right? Who is doing that? This is not a storytelling style that video games yeah. have embraced. We are all oh. about the singular epic, build your giant party and go fight God RPG adventure. <laughs> uh, this God is not the final boss. It's just and the... ridiculous. And oh. but but playing it, you absolutely like I said, you can see the bones of Chrono Trigger, and you can also see how an octopath and an octopath. Um, I think it's quite better than Octopath. Uh, the little that I've played of Octopath and what I understand of Octopath, but I think I think this is doing much more interesting things. Uh, but you can also see if if you're an Undertale fan or if you love like sort of that that newer genre of weird like metatextual indie RPGs, Live Alive is a, is like the inspiration for that. And oh man, it's, it's it was the, the boss fight theme. Uh, Megalomania, I believe uh, Toby yeah. Fox has tweeted that he based Megalovania off of Megalomania. So, uh. Live Alive, I thought, would forever remain an oddity of a significant game that just didn't make it to the West and had almost been forgotten. I actually thought about starting a column about lost gems, like games that were forgotten for various reasons, whether they came out here or not. And like episode one was going to be Live Alive. I'm like, why? Like, given the pedigree of the people involved, I mean, manga artists who created some of Japan's most popular anime series, right? Like, they were all involved. The two, like, just ginormous stars of role-playing game creation, Square making it. Um, I, it was confounding to me that it just kind of faded into obscurity. And so when it was announced, I... You know, we didn't get a reaction video of me, but I was just like, what? Like, this can't be. It was so, it's like as if somebody said Sky Odyssey was coming back. Where I'm like, I didn't mm. know anybody else played this game. And yeah, um, I actually, I, I think, uh, I think it'll be fondly remembered after this. And I think mm -hmm. more people will talk about it. And like, if there, if there was, if there's a multiverse and there's a version of the, you know, of gaming where Chrono Trigger didn't come out and Live Alive came out, I think Live Alive would be taking its spot in many lists. No way. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Ooh, uh, come on. I don't it know. has a real, it has a real Kawazu vibe to it. Uh, there's a Saga Frontier kind of thing with its multiple stories uh, going on. But you're right. It's very influential and it is uh, really beautiful. And maybe the only reason that it didn't. Hit come out in North America was because it came out what two years before Final Fantasy uh, and really the made it big. Yeah, the graphics just weren't up to the other Square games that yeah. were contemporary at the time, and that's where you know Chrono Trigger obviously differs, and and you know the yeah. later Final Fantasies, the Super NES era, the games look quite a lot better. But now with this new style, I think uh, I think I agree. Better. Yep. Yeah. Also, I, music by Yoko Shimomura of Kingdom Hearts and many other fans. One of the best. Really good. Yeah. yeah. Street Fighter. Yep. If I were going to guess, my theory is that this game uh, has been remade as a result of the Seiken Densetsu 3 remake doing well. And the actually them releasing that in the Mana Collection as the Secret of Mana uh, 3, which was another one of those lost, legendary lost games that hardly anyone had played. And you could find fans trans fan translations online. But I'm hoping with this, that means we get more of those hidden gems. Like, Perry, you've mentioned Bahamut Lagoon in the past and mm -hmm. i think that that would be a really cool one and there's another one that i always think of and can never remember the name when it comes time to throw the chips down 
So uh, if you're out there and you know what one I'm talking about, it's a role-playing game and it's by Square. So hit me in the comments on that one. And it never came to the United States. Square Enix hasn't made very many of those. No, hardly. Oh. It should be pretty easy for someone to figure out. That was our live live discussion. Reb, thank you. I'm so excited. By the way, there's a demo uh, on the eShop right now and you can download it, play three chapters and not to their finish, your um, your progress will carry over to the final game, which comes out July 22nd, which I pre-ordered, obviously, on a physical uh, version. Real quick, uh, Monster Hunter Sunbreak is out. Who here has played it? I know who played it. Cat. <laughs> you speak to yeah, us Yeah, I fired it up yesterday. Uh, finally had a moment to play some Sunbreak, beat the first monster in high rank. It was uh, the Daimyo Hermit Crab, which is... Uh, <laughs> shoots a stream of water at you, has claws, very slow, very sluggish, uh, relatively easy to solo, and I had um, really intense endgame gear, so it wasn't hard to beat or anything. But now I'm in that wonderful moment in any Monster Hunter game, which is I've hit the mon master rank, which means that all of that endgame gear that I grinded so hard to get is now worthless and oh. I get to go and get a whole new set of endgame gear. It's going to be so much fun, but I went into an entirely new area. It's a new camp, which is something that they usually do with these expansion. It's called Elgato, which is an interesting choice for the name. Uh, I'm already seeing new mechanics like Ruby wire bugs. I don't really know what that's all about, but uh, they added quite, they, they always add so much to these actual adventures. Um, it's interesting, the, uh, the reviews were, maybe a little bit lukewarm. Um, I've seen some folks say that it doesn't add as much as, say, Iceborne. Um, I'm playing on Nintendo Switch, and there's a part of me that wishes that I were playing on PC instead because I think the 60 FPS makes an absolutely huge, huge, huge difference with Monster Hunter. Um, I've been playing Iceborne quite a bit in the lead up to Sunbreak. So when I got into Sunbreak, I was like, how, how do I play this game again? Because... The mechanics are all different. You have wire bugs in this one, which has you basically leaping into the air like um, uh, with a pulley or uh, or whatever you would call it. And I'm using the switch axe, and the switch and every single weapon in Monster Hunter is wildly different from the other weapons. So I'm using the great sword in Iceborne, which has a different cadence, uh, different combos, different moves, and the switch axe just has its own set of mechanics. So I'm like, how? Okay, yes, I think I remember how I'm supposed to do this. Luckily, I watched the Summer Games Done Quick Monster Hunter Rise speedrun where they were also using the Switch Axe. And so I was like, okay, I remember how to do this. So while I was fighting the, the Hermit Crab Daimyo thing, um, I was slowly but surely remembering the actual mechanics of how to play this thing. And now I think I'm good. I remembered that I had an Amaterasu skin for my, palop, uh, my, my pup. And I was like, okay, I'm back. I'm back in on Sunbreak. So more nice. more to come, I'm sure, because my group will be reuniting starting next week to start grinding through Sunbreak. But um, I see a lot of people saying, ah, I don't know, it's, it's just more Monster Hunter. But I'm like, yes, it's more Monster Hunter. Right. Monster Hunter. Master Rank, let's go. This is, the, this is the real game right here. Well, that brings me to uh, the question that I wanted to pose to the panel is with a expansion like this is it enough to get you to return to a game that you might have lapsed or is it enough even to make you pick up a game that you never played or is it just too little too late reb i'm curious to hear your thoughts 
Oh, no, Monster Hunter's not for me. I am extremely happy. Well, in general, a, a, an expansion of this sort of caliber, would it... Would it oh, you were playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Yeah, oh, okay. sure, yeah. I mean, if something, if the equivalent of this was put into Animal Crossing or, like, a, another game that I play semi... I mean, I, I'm the kind of Breath of the who, Wild. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the kind of person who, if, if I love a game and someone hands me a big chunk of DLC or an expansion, I even if I've stopped playing that game for the last six months to a year, I will absolutely go back to it for that thing. Oh, like, wow. I'm, yeah. I'm going to do it whenever the inevitable Elden Ring DLC gets announced. You bet I'm going to be there first day. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a Monster Hunter person. I'm, I'm happy for the Monster Hunter people. Uh, happy for the, the Monster, Monster Hunter Hunters. people I know just want more Monster Hunter, and this sounds like that. So congratulations, all of you. I'm exactly. Happy for you. I heard I it has the... more hunting and more yes. monsters. Mm. And more gear. That's the important mm. thing. So that you can keep advancing. I think the thing that I struggle with whenever these DLCs come out like a year after the original release, um, I'll put like 100 hours into the game, and I'll be like, I love this game. And then when I come back X months later, I go, Okay, so I've got all this gear, and I've got all these items, and there are all these mechanics I remember. I don't remember at all how to play this game. So there's always that adjustment period as I slowly yeah. learn yeah. how to do it. But then they also put in a lot of new mechanics as well, quality of life improvements, enhancements to the actual gear and the combat. The balance of the combat usually ends up chasing, changing as they kind of rejigger everything. And so it's almost like learning an entirely new game all over again, which can be maybe a little bit exhausting, but um, yeah. I'll get over it with some break. Um, the main reason that I'm excited to go back to it is um, I have a group of friends that I like to play with. It's my main multiplayer game. And I know that's going to be the case for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. I remember when uh, the Champions Valid DLC came out for Breath of the Wild mm. and I hadn't played it in like what whatever it was seven eight months or something and i think one of the first things champion ballad asks you to do is this this trial where you you can you can't get hit like if you get hit you're dead and i having not played that game for seven eight months uh that was not a fun time so uh game makers if you're out there and you're throwing big expansions out there uh give people something to ease them back in maybe <laughs> if you, can. you mean like kind of like an mmo where you have a content drop that leads up to the actual expansion, yeah, sort of like a major content. patch or something. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. they'll often do that in like Final Fantasy fourteen and WoW, right? Where they'll have yeah, oh, wow. the preparation Absolutely. events and that kind of thing. Yeah, you should do that in Monster Hunter. But um, Tom Marks reviewed it for IGN.com and said that it's actually a relatively simple expansion. It's still, still a whole lot of fun, but not nearly as substantial or surprising as Iceborne, lacking fresh ideas beyond clever AI followers that are restricted to single-player hunts. It abandoned the Rampage quests. Thank God. <laughs> I didn't like the Rampage quests. So if you, played, if you played the original, the Rampage quests were actually quite boring. They were a little bit of a tower defense situation where tons of monsters were coming at you, uh, maybe like a horde mode, that kind of thing. And you're just trying to hold on until you got to the final apex monster and then you would actually fight that one it felt a little too far removed from the actual monster hunter experience and i kind of like the idea of a horde mode or um just a succession of boss rushes for monster hunter but i don't think it was carried off very well and it was a big part of the grinding because all the rampage weapons in monster hunter rise were some of the best weapons so I'm really glad that they're gone, actually. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you 
know who I think does DLC great is uh, the Borderlands series. And I know they're not quite as gigantic as is sort of this these Monster Hunter add-ons, but they have a great cadence to them. And you sometimes they're self-contained. And in the case of Borderlands 3, some of the DLC was better than Borderlands 3, I thought. So, and you get well, it's North, the same with guns, Pokemon, right? Exciting. Sword and Shield's DLC was way better than the original Pokemon uh, sure Sword was. and Shield. Yeah, huge improvement. I, I think that I prefer maybe more of a cadence, I think, to the actual content releases rather than a mega drop Yeah, that comes a year later. And that's what I like about it. If, you know, when it, when they announce a Borderlands, you're like, okay, in three months, we're going to get a DLC. And then like, you know, two months after that, we'll get another one and another one until it all, it all rounds it out. And we have this big, wholesome package of guns and, uh, but acid. I think if you haven't played Monster Hunter Rise yet, this is kind of a great time to get into it because I mean, this is the real end game right here. Like the, mm -hmm. one of the problems with Monster Hunter Rise is that, you know, you were just playing in high rank and there was plenty to do and. There was a fun monster to fight at the end that, if I recall correctly, was shooting laser beams, things like that. Um, cool. And it was a technical, it was a real technical accomplishment on the Nintendo <clears throat> Switch. Capcom, low key, one of the best tech business. I still yeah. think Rise business, is the yeah. best looking Switch game, and somebody in the comments agreed with me. So that. But if you missed I it the right. first time, now's the time to pick it up because this is this is it right here. This is all the Monster Hunter. So you're gonna get like a. Solid 120, 130 hours of content. I was going to say, you have to have a second life, though, because that's a <laughs> lot of gameplay. Hey, Prime Days next week, it could be on sale for all huh? I know. Put away Destiny, pick up Monster Hunter. There you go. Multiplayer game. I'm going to bring it back to Square Enix, and we're going to talk a little bit about Final Fantasy Crisis Core, which is extremely popular, with at least with the IGN Deals audience. I know that. like, hmm. it, People cannot get enough and are just pre-ordering it left and right. The Switch version, however... This is no surprise. It's going to see its resolution and 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 FPS affected versus the PS5 and Xbox and PC. I, well, at least we're not getting the PSP port. That is true. Look, look we could have gotten a Persona 3 portable, uh, which is kind of what ended up happening in the Persona 3 collection. But you know, there's actually been a lot of discourse recently about quote unquote impossible ports for a Nintendo Switch, mm -hmm. maybe not happening. Maybe the Nintendo Switch is just lagging further and further behind other releases now that the PS5 and the Xbox Series XS are fully entrenched in everything. Um, I think that oh, it's, we'll, we'll see how the Nintendo Switch version of this game ends up coming out. Um, <laughs> I asked them what the lead platform they were developing for was because one of the things with Sonic Frontiers is that I believe they're actually leading with the Switch. Uh, with their actual development, because they want it to work for Japanese audiences. They want it to work for the Switch the best. Mm -hmm. So they don't want that version to be compromised. But as a result, the game doesn't look so great on other platforms. Yeah. Uh, Crisis Core is leading, I think, on PC, maybe, oh. because they're mm -hmm. shooting for 120 FPS on Damn. PC, according to the new so interview many that I did. FPSs. Yeah. And they're shooting for 60 on the PS5, Xbox Series X. So I think we can, as usual, expect you know 30 FPS. Uh, the Nintendo Switch and everything. Uh, Katase was saying, yes, it's going to be a similar experience across the board, no matter what platform you're you're playing on. Um, we'll see. I think Square generally has a pretty good uh, tech track record on the Nintendo Switch. Correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah. Please yell at me in the comments or something. But uh, 
No, ja look, <laughs> Jap worry. Japanese developers face the reality that the Switch is by far the most popular platform oh, yeah. In, yeah. in their in their native country, right? And so they definitely want to do every right. country. Um, that's what you see with like you know Dragon Quests on Switch. So you certainly see it with Monster Hunter on Switch. So hopefully this will be decent. Yeah, but yeah. also look, this is a big generalization, but I think it's a safe one. The vast majority of people who purchased a Nintendo Switch did not do so because they thought it would be graphically superior to everything right. else. Yeah, I think you're they purchased it because right. it they liked the the sort of gimmick of the portable console thing, or they like Nintendo, or mm -hmm. any other, or, or there was a specific game, an exclusive game that they wanted, or any other combination of factors. No that one was Animal Crossing score and thinking no, no, no. the Nintendo Switch is going to be the most graph better be the most graphically impressive place to play this or i'm out i'm not playing crisis no one's <laughs> thinking about that the people yeah. who are playing crisis core on switch are people who are already bought into the switch and don't care as long as it's like fairly functional right i mean it, there, it still needs it still needs to run okay uh, but there are also been versions of ports that just have not been good no and that's fair years. even but... like old ps2 games like the smt3 nocturne collection on nintendo switch not great that's like consistently fair. very buggy technical glitches just across the board like so right well, yeah. that's not what we're talking about here i mean the yeah. basically anytime there's sort of a news that's like oh the the fps on the switch is going to be lower on this than it is on other on there are PS5 games with six, xbox series there's X. games that are 60 fps on nintendo switch well, it, it's a thing that happened and i think people are are maybe there are at least a handful of people who are more interested in frame rate than they are fidelity and i am one of those people yeah I, just Isn't think, Neon White 60 FPS? That game's gorgeous. It is, you know? yeah. I just think that you automatically know going in, if the Switch is your primary yes. console, that you are making some level of compromise and you oh, yeah. have resigned yourself to that or you own a PS5 and Xbox Series. That was what I was, was going to say. And are going to play it I, over there because that's something you care I about. I would imagine that anyone who's like really excited about Final Fantasy Crisis Core is probably going to play it on their PS5 or their Xbox anyway. So, Joke's yeah. on you. I'm playing on my Switch. I want to play All it right, portable. Well, uh... right, but that's exactly it. Or they want to play it portable. And so they well, actually, I have a Steam Deck sitting over here. I'll play it on that. Okay, well. Oh, man, you just lost a sale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Switch. I, I, as, as for Crisis Core itself, I think it's interesting that they're connecting it so heavily to Final Fantasy VII Remake, but they're at pains to say that it's not a remake, it's a remaster. And when they say that it's a remaster, quote unquote, they, what they mean is they're not completely changing the story like they did with Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, so they're not going to have any new story elements, according to them. They're going to kind of play it straight, but they're kind of using it as a direct lead in to Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is part two of the remake games. And I kind of am expecting a teaser trailer of some sort after the post credits. Uh, what a post credits reveal for Final Fantasy Rebirth to get people going in the the best Kingdom Hearts fashion. So yeah, look forward to that. Set your cat expectations uh, accordingly. So wow, yeah. Set yeah. your cat expectations to kill. Let's go <laughs> in the cat cave. Now we need to talk about something that's near and dear to all of our hearts, and that is the GameCube and why we love it. And this week. It's the spice orange. That's why the spice yeah. must must flow. Uh, it's the most orange of all the consoles, and intentionally <laughs> so, not just because it was in a house with smokers or it was left out in UV radiation. But yeah, originally it was purple. That was just the 
base default color. Here's a purple and black cost and black. Yes. And uh yeah. Who's laughing now? What were the the, the four original <laughs> colors were uh spice orange, black, silver and uh oh, purple. the purple lunchbox. The purple yeah. lunchbox. But people were kind of goofing on it cuz color console multicolor consoles were not a thing really. You were black. You had a right. black console cuz you were sleek. Yeah. Or big and boxy like the Xbox and <laughs> Nintendo had the temerity to release a console in the color purple which was vaguely feminine and people could not believe it. <laughs> and it's like, "Oh my god, you, you got some girliness on my it, console." I thought I always thought it was papal. It was, uh, you know, it, it it was the most religious of consoles because it was the same color as the Pope's socks. <laughs> what? Yeah, the color of the Pope was purple. What? Wow. I mean, yeah. it's like royalty, right? Uh, yeah. Catholic facts I somehow don't know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you didn't know the Pope wears purple socks? I didn't know that, no. It, it is interesting. Never heard it that expression. It is interesting. So I, I remember when Nintendo went with the, the, the kind of multicolor approach. Um, it was obviously the N64 already had the multi-controller colors, right? And it was easier to keep your controllers uh, apart from who's, you know, who's player one, who's player two. It, it actually served a function there. And then Apple ran with, if you guys remember the iMac. Are Apple you kidding suddenly, me? I love the iMac. Apple turned its PC, its, its, its Mac's uh, monitors, uh, all sorts of colors of toothpaste. and the Flavors. Um, they were flavors yeah, of candy. That's right. And I, th I think when Nintendo announced the kind of multicolor approach, we, we credited Apple with breaking the ice there. Yeah. Um, Everything was translucent multicolor back then. I remember having an yeah. iron that was yeah. like translucent. And then obviously, you know, Nintendo did it with the N64. You got the, the see-through yep. colors and you got oh, the multicolor so approach. But uh, nobody expected a new console to launch with an aggressive color. Everybody thought consoles were supposed to be see, uh, heard, not seen, right? They needed to blend Ooh, in with your is. credenza and your setup and all of that. And Fancy DVD player. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, God forbid people f figure out that you're actually playing video games circa 2001. But yep. isn't it interesting that Nintendo spent at least a decade chasing the aesthetic of apple from yeah. the the imac everything all the way to the wii with the, the the controller and the white console and how sleek it was it looked like an ipod or an iphone circa that time uh nintendo really wanted to kind of capture that look and feel yep no Bring for sure back translucent yes hardware all Bring back the the blue and the purple see-through stuff Yes, I you agree. Know, what happened? Why, why is I want it not trying... cool anymore? I have I have custom Joy-Con that are the it'll be back. Purple, but... those, those were the coolest N sixty four controllers. Those were the coolest Game Boys to have when I was in school. If you had those, you were the, if you had that yeah. color, you were the you were the cool person. Yeah. You know, maybe I don't know. We should make that cool again. You know, maybe electronics just aren't interesting enough anymore you they used no, to have not. these complicated uh, you know gears and steam engines and things inside so <laughs> it was cool to have translucent plastic in. and see in you now see it's the just green inside. chips yeah i don't I mean, care i think that uh you know show me the guts playstation sony did a, an admirable effort trying to make the playstation 5 stand out from the rest of your consumer <laughs> electronics but i think that is just the ugliest it still looks thing. like a humidifier. It's it looks like terrible. a base star from Battlestar Galactica. 
Yeah, I, I want to like it. Reference. It looks like a building from SimCity 2000. It's, <laughs> I, I want to like it, but every time I see it, it's like, it also wobbles. I don't know, is it me or is no, it him? It, but like, it, yeah. When um, you put it on it its went, side, if you try to push the button, it slides off the, the thing that it's, it's supposed to. Yeah. I remember when yeah. the PS3 came out, I thought this thing is huge and ugly. And then the PS5 came out. It was like the Super Star Destroyer casting the shadow of the Star Destroyer and Empire Strikes Back. That was the PS5. Yeah, and then uh, the, the the Xbox looks kind of like Deep Thought from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? <laughs> like it's this this supercomputer box that's very, very square and pensive looking with its hey, one yes. eye there. You're talking about um, 2001 earlier, and there it is. Like, There's the obelisk. I, I mean, and then I there's generally... a Steam Deck, which is a humongous Game Gear. What you works like, about as well as one too, because it has that big black circle on the front. I put a pair of googly eyes at the top, so it looks like my my Series S is just going. It's like <laughs> that's awesome. It's great. The... No, but taking it back to the GameCube, you know, the the color wasn't what bothered me back when when it released. It was that it was very very tall and it was a top loader, and it ignored the fact that. Since the days of the NES and Super NES, when we all, you know, we sat on the floor and our carpet and the console was right there with its short controller cables. What had happened since then is that the machines had become consumer electronics and they moved into into the, the TV stands and the credenzas and all of that. And they usually had room for a device this tall, like a receiver or a DVD player, and they were all front-loading and had the yeah. buttons on the front. And so suddenly, if you put your GameCube in there and you hit the eject button, it's like, bang, the lid would hit the roof of whatever TV stand you had. And that bugged me. Um, but then I realized, why? Just pull it out for a second and put the disc in. I mean, it has a handle. A hand? It has an easy handle. <laughs> it has a hand. It has a handle. You can take exactly. it with you. Yep. Strap those it to, your, strap could, to your belt. Those disc trays could be a problem, though, right? Yeah. That's what I remember. Yes. They, yeah, yeah, they are. That's just a, a fail point when you have a, 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 a disc that ejects the... Anyway. Lots of people never learn that you can press on the center and the disc comes out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is something that yeah. a lot of people don't know, and they just mm-hmm. yank right oh, on it. But, yeah, they yank it out. There it is. That's, That's weird. 20 years later, everybody mm-hmm. wants colored consoles, custom Xbox Series Xs are all the rage. And yeah. we just got those absolutely beautiful Splatoon 3 Switch OLED, oh, which I want so, so very, good. very much. Mm. I'll go a step further. I want more stupid looking consoles. I, oh. <laughs> As long as they fit in the, Ooh. like fitting in the entertainment center is important, but as long you as have they- the play date? Uh, I don't. I wish I did. I got it right here. <laughs> yeah, I want more consoles that look ridiculous. Bright it's... orange, funny little shapes. Uh, Put a I... crank on it. The, P- the PS5 crank, yeah. looks looks absurd. Uh, uh... It looks like a home appliance that someone bought on a discount at Sears, and it's great. And I think we should have more of them. Well, I disagree. Uh, I think it's horrible. But I do think that we should have more weird-looking things. The I think only way all it would of be those. Is if it were spice orange. My favorite part of any console cycle, I'm sure I've said this before, is like when we're we're speculating and they're making artist renditions of what you know the next Xbox is going to be like, and somebody's like, "It's going to look like an X," or they just make the the oh stupidest God. looking, you know, like that Nintendo NX leak that was uh, just the, a, the football, the football controller that With everyone the controllers. The sticks are in the middle of the screen. Yeah. Like everyone's like, well, like oh, I can't done. see my character. Yeah, that's why. Make all those ridiculous artists' conceptions that leading up to a console's release. Make those real. Sony, right. give us the boomerang PS3. <laughs> there oh is. My God. That horrible. Uh, that that scam that fooled everybody. Speak, going back to leaks, but uh, we are 
rapidly running out of time, so I want to quickly get to what we have been playing. Uh, Reb, what, in addition to Live Alive, have you been playing that you could talk about? I have been playing a little game called Freshly Frosted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually been playing it on the Xbox, but it is also out on Switch. Uh, it is a puzzle game that takes place in a a mental donut factory of sorts. You are imagining a, a factory that makes donuts, <laughs> uh, and your goal As is one to... Does. There's there's a little thing that ejects d- plain donuts, and then there's a little rece- receiver somewhere else in the, these square top-down levels. And your goal is to build conveyor belts that will take the donuts from one end to the other. But on the way, there are different pieces of machinery that will put frosting and sprinkles and whipped cream and cherries on them in that order. Ooh. And every level calls for a certain amount of these things to be built. And so you have to build conveyor belts that correctly pass the decorating stations and get the donuts to the other end. And as you can imagine, this is iterated on uh, repeatedly with different, sometimes you'll have levels that call for multiple kinds of donuts, or maybe you'll have a bunch of stations that put cherries on top, but you actually don't want cherries on top. And so you have to sort of skirt around them. And they, the amount of puzzles and deviations on this concept is very impressive. The music is very soothing. It's like listening mm. to a headspace meditation. Uh, it's it's a very, very pleasant little game. And I, I'm enjoying the very satisfying like rhythm of when you get your factory going, Every all the donut things, they move and they decorate to the beat. So it's just this nice little rhythmic, uh, it's, it's very satisfying and nice to look at. Freshly frosted, very good. I'm into it. I'm I'm gonna have nice. to check this one out. Pear, what have you been playing? Well, uh, you know, after we talked about uh, the 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 repacked game coming to Pac-Man, uh, you know, we we kindly got some codes from Namco to play Pac-Man Museum Plus, which I was ignoring because I already have. Um, uh, I obviously have access to it on on Game Pass, but like playing it on Switch is really fun because it yeah. is. It is a great mobile game collection. It has Pac-Man, Super Pac-Man, Pac-and-Pal, Pac-Land, Pac-Mania, Pac-Attack, Pac-and-Time, a whole bunch of, what is it, like a dozen Pac-Man games, Seth, I think? Yeah, there's a lot. I was playing this uh, also, and uh, I was actually really surprised to see Pac-Man 256. 256 is, is in there, that's right. And that actually was, uh, a that was super, super Pac-Man, uh, you know, the, I, I have the arcade machine in my house and love it dearly. Um, there's some weird ones, right? Like yeah. the, the his 2D excursions, which are not quite as successful, but the core Pac-Man maze games are just really, really good. Um, if oh, you that are- puzzle game too. If you yeah, if you're into gaming history, Pack Attacks in it too. Uh, if you're into gaming history, uh, Pack in Time, extremely weird game where you uh, you grapple hook your yourself to uh, to the points and all of that. Um, we mentioned that Pac-Man has been just really inventive, kind of like Mario when it comes to branching out into different gameplay styles, and that more. Uh, more of those games than in with, with many other characters are actually successful. So, um, yeah, I'm digging it. I like it. I think it's a really good on the go game uh, to yeah. play. Yeah, and there are some pack versions in there that I was completely, wholly unaware of. And it also has Championship Edition, which is well, which the- is one of the best games ever made. Yeah, Come on. DX I is think, so good. I think you made yeah. half of those Pac-Man games up. <laughs> no, they're, they're real. They are real. It has Pac-Man arrangement arcade version. Made I didn't up. even know what that was. Yep, yeah, totally made. I, I did not make that one. Oh, it's a real thing. Made up. Pack and time is dumb, and I don't like that one at all. But cat, uh, what it has? Pac-Man Battle Royale, which is this oh, arcade machine I would fake. love in my house, but before PUBG, there are Pac-Man Battle Royale. So Royal. expensive. Yeah. So if anybody ever wants to give me a nice birthday present, a Battle Royale machine. <laughs> Have you been playing anything other than uh, Monster Hunter? 
Well, I rolled credits on Act 2 of Dragon Quest Eleven and did a oh, podcast nice. about it. I'm into Act 3 now, in which there's a big twist, and I'm not going to reveal it. But uh, cat take, I think Dragon Quest Eleven is the best RPG on Switch right now. Whoa! Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an amazing game. It's so stately, so gorgeous. I need to get back Characters are it. so wonderful. Love the battle system. Uh, it's just a culmination of everything that made Dragon Quest great. So if you haven't played Dragon Quest Eleven, definitely go check it out. Um, oh, the Switch version is one of the best ones. By the way, you you cat you turned me on to Neon White, which oh, yeah. um I don't think we were on a podcast together. That was a really good recommendation. That game's awesome. Really yeah. loving it. All right. Yeah, and people are really into Neon White. Uh, the speedrunning community has definitely uh, really embraced Neon White hardcore. I think there's the low key. I think Neon White community is really blowing up, and we're going to be talking about that game quite a bit for the rest of the year. But I'm also uh, you may recall. That my Nuzlocke run Ooh, ended in failure. Oh! In Pokemon Crystal, I lost to Morty because I was really stupid. But I'm doing a revenge run this nice. weekend on a stream. Rep's going to be there, so come check it out. It sounds like the first one any of those words meant just now. You don't have. It was <laughs> those were made up. Those were yes. Those are all. I would love up. to explain Nuzlocke to you, pair, but I think Seth is going to tell me we don't have time for that. Okay, I'll, come I'll join us and find out. Afterwards. Yeah, you'll have to find out this weekend. I was just going to say real quick. I played the live live demo. I loved it. Uh, I played the Pac Man Museum. I loved that as well. But I also played some of those Sega Genesis games. Famously, I played Zero Wing. They set us up the bomb. Yeah. That game, outside of the memes, it's not a bad shmup. And uh, yep. it's, it's actually, I, I really like the opening sequence. And if I had seen that as a kid, it would have just been probably my favorite game. Because any taste of Japanese pop culture, whether it's like uh, just an, a piece of art in a game, was all I wanted in life. And it was so hard to get yeah. back then. But yeah, that, uh, that Zero Wing. Did you, did you play Comics Zone? I have I I have played Comic Zone in the past. Right. Yes, but I didn't. Very hard game. It's just uh, I'm you know it's just such a creative uh, art style to use you know like yeah. uh, jumping from comic pan panel to the next. It, this the, it, the most nineties game too. So nineties. Yeah, we had you know the Nintendo Online's been a little tepid with the additions. Like it, it's cool we got Pokemon Snap, but we got a sequel to Pokemon Snap before that, right? right? And so we weren't really starved for that. But they did, you know, they recently had uh, released uh, you know a couple of treasure games for Genesis, mm -hmm. and now these four games um, keep keep those coming and leave the Jalico ones in the shoebox that for now. <laughs> I was going to say the Sega Genesis online offerings are mm -hmm. the absolute jewel in the Nintendo online crowd because those yep. are the consistently the best and most interesting games on the system, um, not including, you know, the like expansion and the original. So if you don't have the expansion yet, there are some banger Sega Genesis games on there. But that's all I can talk about because we are out of time. We have one question block from Kate Adkins. Kate asks, why Nintendo? I think that's a great question. Why Nintendo indeed? So that is all the time we have for this week's NVC. Follow us on Twitter at NVC Podcast. Submit your question block questions on the NVC Facebook group so I can summarily ignore them at the end of the show. I want to thank Red on the ones and twos. I want to thank Reb for coming out and talking about Live Alive with us. And most of all, I want to thank you, the listener slash viewer, for hanging out. And remember, NBC is the only place where you can get the thing. Get the thing. Get alive alive. Get the thing. Also bring back dead alive since we're bringing back things that ended with alive. <laughs>